The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Merry Christmas, everyone. Good morning and welcome to our show today. Our show today is on empathy. And I have on my show today Dr. Lou Agosta from Chicago, Illinois. He is a professor and specialist in empathy. Good morning, Lou. Good morning, Anne. So good to have you on the show today. Thank you. It is so, I am excited. I am delighted to be here. I am even practically overstimulated. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and once again, excited to be here. I, I do want to note that uh, it is actually already Christmas on other parts of the planet. NORAD is tracking Santa's sleigh, and it has been sighted now over Singapore and South Asia. So we are on Internet Talk Radio. This goes planet-wide, whether one is celebrating a festival of lights. Uh, people make light lights against the darkness at this dark time of year here in Chicago in the sense that there's not a lot of daylight. So I acknowledge the moment. And uh, I'm here to talk about and to engage with subjects relating to empathy. Well, and it sounds like even with Christmas and the holiday season that you are empathetic across the planet about what everyone is experiencing with this holiday. Well, you know, nice point. I mean, I, I thank you for the acknowledgement. Here's the challenge. The empathy, you know, right? The em- I'm, I'm at risk of doing too much talking uh, to, be, to be empathic, but I'm nevertheless going to talk because that's, that's the format and the opportunity. And to be empathic, one has to be quiet and listen. And having said that, I nevertheless, I'm going to say, I suggest we begin by defining our terms. What the heck are you talking about, Lou? Empathy, this and that. The nice point, however is that it is also about boundaries, right? There are the, there's this international dateline out there. Australia is 17 hours ahead. So, you know, seasons, greetings, and Merry, it is Merry Christmas in Australia and Happy Holiday and whatever you're celebrating on December 25th. A new birth in many ways, a new birth of possibility, a new birth uh, of humanity. And so with that, let me give a short definition of how I define empathy. This is not the truth with a capital T, but this is a working assumption for our conversation today. Yes, please, go uh, ahead. Yeah. Uh, Empathy is, I know what you are feeling because I feel it also, not as a merger, but as a vicarious experience, such as one might have in the movies or the theater or reading a novel 
where one partially identifies, say, with the protagonist, the hero, but still knows that I'm a different person than that other person. Yes, I put myself in your shoes and, so to speak, walk in your moccasins so that I know where they pinch, right? Right. And I walk in your moccasins not as a size seven and a half, which I am, but whatever, maybe as a size eight or a size six, which you are. So I take on aspects of who you are, your character, your personality, your character traits, you as a person and as a possibility to see how the moccasins fit or not. So a lot of work in empathy is about boundary issues. Empathy is crossing a boundary between the self and other and doing so while respecting the boundary. That's a, I, I consider that a short definition. That was like two minutes. Yes, and that's the PhD. You guys are <laughs> so technical, and that's cool. Um, but that was a great definition, the vicarious living, th- uh, really, of someone else's life, that you can put yourself into that and feel it like you would a book when you're reading a book or a movie, um, that you can feel the characters and you can feel the experiences. Same thing with people in real life. Well, and that's why I wanted to have you on today with Christmas and the holiday season, because I really feel like this is the best season that empathy is really um, inspired almost, that people seem to be able to feel other people, their pain, their joy. They experience it a lot more. Maybe they're more open to it this time of year. Well, on, you know, on a good day, I mean, the holidays can be stressful. And so, if, you know, if, if there's not a lot of empathy, maybe I could bring some along or you could bring some along when the guy or man or woman at the checkout counter is stressed out, uh, maybe if they don't have a smile, I could have one, offer them one of mine. This is, uh, I think, a point worth making. Uh, some people say, you know, we need more empathy. It's Christmas. We need more empathy. And yes, of course, I wouldn't argue more is, is okay. But I actually believe in my heart of hearts that there's enough empathy to go around already. And the challenge, the task, and kind of the work I do in the community and in conversations that I have with people uh, is to expand the empathy that's already there. So, you know how, I mean, that's a complete thought. I mean, I I probably should pause for breath at this point. Well, yeah, because I want to let the listeners know about you. Now, you live in Chicago. So how's the weather right now at Christmas time in Chicago? Well, I'm looking, I actually, you know, I count my blessings, uh, I I got a condominium here on the lake, so I'm looking out at Lake Michigan, and it's kind of foggy and gray, but mild. And that's good news. You know, we're not having any power outages because of storms. There are a lot of people across the country who have got, literally, I mean, there's a terrible storm yesterday. I-70 in Colorado is shut down for 100 miles. They're probably going to have to send out the National Guard to get people out of their cars. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm fat, <laughs> hard the expression, fat, dumb, and happy here. Uh, wow. Thanks for asking. And uh, enjoying, you know, enjoying a mild, so far, knock on wood, um, we're jinxed now, a mild winter. Now we're doomed. The polar vortex is going to come back, my having said that. Uh, but, well, yeah. In, in Chicago, you know, when I think of Chicago, I think of windy. I think of wind. <laughs> and immediately people think of snow. But do you get a lot of snow in Chicago? 
The short answer is yes. Oh, okay. Short answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> We're the snowbells here. <laughs> You're the I didn't even know little, that. You know, we don't get buried alive. Uh, I've only been like one time. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, and it's a great city, but not necessarily because of the weather, right? I mean, it's a, lar- it's, a, it's a large urban area. I mean, we've got great art, great symphony. I mean, I'm not a member of the Chamber of Commerce, but maybe they'll elect me after what, you know, after the, after, Talking uh, about Chicago. you know, after praising the Art Institute. I mean, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the great art museums we've got. It's great, great museums, great entertainment, great theater. Uh, and, you know, it's a big, bad city, you know, so be careful, you know, be careful out there. I mean, I think that's probably true anywhere across the country when you're going out. But uh, so I'm a booster. You know, I'm a booster of this town, born and raised <laughs> here. How much do you want to hear about me? I mean, I got some stories growing up here. Well, I know that you grew up in Chicago and um, you went to what college did you go to? I went to the University of Chicago, privileged and blessed. The, the, I went to high school at Loyola Academy, and a Jesuit college preparatory school at that time, an all-boys school. And huh. interesting, interesting thing about single-gender education. They're now co-ed over there. I think all the boys and girls, young men and women, are happier about that. But, uh, you know, it was some serious, uh, some serious study time. And then they got, the one thing uh, they did a lot for me, one thing they did for me is they got me into the University of Chicago. It's kind of a borderline, borderline nerd, borderline egghead. If you wanted to see socially awkward, that was me at 17. You want to see, you know, I've taken, if I may say so, I've taken some ground since then in terms of being able to communicate. But if you wanted to see a socially awkward teenager, just put me at 17 years old in the presence of a pretty girl. Oh, my God. It and what did you do? Uh, well, I just shut up. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I like, blah, 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 blah. you know, what I don't want to do on radio, I just would clam up and be, you know, uncomfortable. And that didn't actually work very well. Uh, <laughs> as, you, as you know, this is the age of the socially awkward in a lot of ways. You know, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I was socially awkward years, if not decades, before social media hit. You mm-hmm. can be socially awkward without social media, <laughs> without yeah. Facebook and, the, and LinkedIn and the like. Um, and there are rich comic possibilities there. Um, yes, rich comic possibilities. But a lot of the socially awkward when they were young are some of the most successful people today. Well, and- I compensated, right? I mean, so yeah. there's maybe an empathic moment here. I went out for theater in high school and college. I did training, speaker training, such as, I mean, this is just a fact, uh, you know, Dale Carnegie does a nice speaker training. I mean, there's, yes. there's a lot of interesting things. I, I trained myself and, and forced myself becoming a teacher, right? I mean, uh, you have to get up there and say something uh, meaningful and intelligent and be peppered with questions about it. As soon as a person says something, naturally, they will be challenged. And I mean, I'm looking here actually to to, I, I, I want to connect the dots uh, with the empathy conversation at this point because uh, that's one thing that people do uh, who are successful is they do an assessment of their strengths and weaknesses and what they're comfortable with and what they're uncomfortable with. And sometimes one way of dealing with that is to compensate if you don't like to speak. Force yourself. Put yourself in positions which you stretch your comfort zone and take some risk and 
volunteer to do public speaking or, you know, what your, your activity of choice to, to give back. And um, I'm thinking, so I'm thinking actually, well, I'm going to get one funny story that I actually have from high school. I mean, you know, uh, you don't know, but uh, we were talking <laughs> before the show. I was in uh, Mr. Ehrman's class, now Father Ehrman's class at Loyola, uh, and read Cicero and Virgil in the original with Bill Murray. He is in my high school yearbook, and he went on to become a Oscar-winning movie star uh, for Lost in Translation and other other funny movies uh, such as uh, Groundhog Day and uh, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Uh, that was a breakthrough <laughs> flick. It was a flick, right? But there's yeah. a connection. I mean, so two things. I want to make two points about empathy. Lost in Translation. In many ways, empathy is about translation. The word does not occur in that movie. Uh, I mean, he went on to be, uh, as I say, a, uh, a Oscar-winning movie star, and I went on to appear on Living Well with Ann Beale. I there mean, you I, go. I'm doing great. We're doing great. <laughs> hey, we got no reason to apologize, Ann, you know. Uh, but the point here, more to the point, uh, tra- empathy is about translating of experience, your experience into mine, mine into yours, about traversing that boundary. How can you ever really know what another person experiences. That's the first point. Well, that's called empathy, getting access to the other person. What are they experiencing in the moment? A kind of emotional contagion, but don't stop there. That that communicability of affect and experience has to be further processed. Who is the person as a possibility? What can they be? What's possible for them? And the second point is the close connection between empathy and humor. Right. I mean, there was some uh, lot of about that that movie. I mean, you might not have seen it. I mean, but there was some humor in the movie. It was also a serious movie and significant about relationships, whereas Caddyshack was kind of a kind of I would even say it kind of dumb humor. And it was funny. I liked it. Right. And, and, you know, you can see a lot of, you know, humor is one of those things where you can't argue about taste. If you laugh, you laugh. And here's the thing. Both empathy and humor are about crossing the boundary between self and other. There's, you're working with boundaries, and you're doing that in relationships. I'll give you an example. Can I, I'm going to tell a joke. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, take a big I was one. hoping you would, because I can't around about you sounding like Dennis Miller, so you definitely need to tell a joke. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I might have told you this one already, but, you know. Yeah, so here's the joke. I mean, you've got to be careful with this, but, but how is Christmas like a day at the office? How is Christmas like a day at the office? Give tell up. Me. Give up. You get to do all the work, and the big guy, the big guy in the suit gets all the credit. <laughs> but, um, okay, so, you know, drum roll for life. So here's the, here's the point. Now, let's inquire. What's funny about that? Christmas is like a day at the office. Well, that kind of rings true for some people who are stressed out in the holiday, right? And, and, but why is it funny? It's funny for a number of reasons. I get to make fun of the boss. Ordinarily, if you assault the boss, you insult the boss, you know, the big guy in the suit, you get fired. You know, you let's blow up the boss, right? Like in Caddyshack, somebody's in the, in the I don't, wherever they are, and it, 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 you blow up the outhouse. And that's, that's, you know, in the moment, that was very that's funny. funny. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Okay. 
So, I mean, but it's like crossing a boundary. You don't talk. That's a boundary, you know, right? You close the door and uh, leave me alone as number one, number two. Okay, we're not going to go there. But we make fun of the boss. And kind of the Santa Claus is the ultimate authority figure. He's making a list, checking it twice. Got to find out who's naughty or nice, right? I mean, that's your conscience, right? I mean, you better eat your spinach, whatever. You know, your, your, your meal of choice, right? And... and so it's so. How is that like empathy? Well, that's different than empathy in that humor is more edgy. Humor, you get to be aggressive, make fun of the boss in a way. Sometimes where it's not that there's not aggression necessarily involved in empathy, but in empathy, it gets transformed and shifted in a different way. So humor activates empathy. Empathy can activate humor because they're both aspects of the self of who I am of who the other person is, of, of the self in their, you know, in their good news and in their bad news, and the self and what they're struggling with and what, they're, what I'm good at and what I'm less good at. Well, so, and when you, when you think about um, humor with empathy, one of the reasons that it's funny when something, you know, crosses a boundary when you say that, that means that yeah. you do something that you maybe shouldn't do or something that's harmful or something that damages somebody or embarrasses somebody or something like that. But you have people like even the Medea movies, you know, I think they're hilarious. I just think they're so funny. And it's because I empathize with people who go through breakups or yeah. are lonely yeah. or things like that. And so when you um, make humor, which is something like with the boss, you say something, because every, it's, a, it's a kind of a stereotype. Everyone knows how that feels usually in some way or another. So it's really great to be able to laugh about it. Now, one of the things I wanted to let the listeners know is that you really specialize with listening with empathy and ex- you've done a history of empathy and your book, A Rumor of Empathy. Yeah. And um, you have two other books on empathy. <laughs> and so I wanted people to understand you truly are a specialist when you talk about this. And um, so I don't want to, you know, get lost too much before they understand your background. Yeah. And you are have been a professor for many years, right? Is that right? It is. I, oh, cool. I have a distinguished and checkered career. I mean, and thank you for giving a shout out for the book, A Rumor of Empathy, Rewriting Empathy in the History of Philosophy, encouraging my friends and colleagues to buy it retail. Uh, you know, uh, and that is, it is a, an academic and a scholarly work. However, I respectfully submit it is accessible. And uh, I'm building a foundation you know, of of a rigorous, I don't know, scientific might be too fancy a word, but a rigorous foundation in scholarship and in rigorous distinctions in order to bring forth empathy in individually and in the community. And uh, you you allude, so here's, you know, after I got my PhD, piled higher and deeper, I actually graduated in philosophy. I wrote a dissertation in the philosophy department on empathy and interpretation. One of my mentors and eventually dissertation advisors was being psychoanalyzed at the time. It's a form of dynamic psychotherapy. And uh, so he met a number of the psychoanalysts in Chicago, uh, the most famous of whom was Heinz Kohut, also Michael Franz Bosch, Arnold Goldberg, all of these are well-published uh, right. uh, therapists, medical doctors, psychoanalysts. Uh, and uh, he said to me, Lou, 
Kohut is innovating in empathy. Heinz Kohut put empathy on the map in uh, a number of the books he wrote on the analysis of the self and the restoration of the self. And at that time, he was innovating, and they wanted to know, does this thing, empathy, have legs? And they said, well, we need a scholar to yeah. investigate the history of empathy. Sounds well, like- and um, I, I want uh, to take a break. We're going to go to a commercial. And when we come back, Lou, I want you to, we're going to explain the difference between empathy and sympathy and why we want to spread empathy into the community, especially this time of year and all year through. So let's take a break. We'll go to commercial. With, we'll be right back with Lou Augusta on Living Well. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Mothers and daughters have a unique relationship. There are trying times and loving times. There is joy and there can be heartache. Listen for Communicating from the Heart, the empowered mother-daughter relationship. Your hosts are Elizabeth Lutz along with her daughters, Danielle and Melissa Schoeniker. Come with them as they share an open and honest discussion to help mothers and daughters everywhere strengthen and support their own relationships. Listen Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you ever noticed that sometimes life just feels easier, especially when judgment of you or anyone else ceases to exist? What if you could function from that space all the time? What if gratitude is the key? Every time you are grateful for someone or something, a new universe opens up. What difference can you create in your life and the world from the energy, space, and consciousness of gratitude? Join us on Access Consciousness Presents Beyond Saying Thank You every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, welcome back. to. We are with Lou Augusta, Dr. Lou Augusta, a Ph.D. professor at the University of Chicago, specialist on empathy and author of many books on empathy. Thank you, Anne. And I, just one correction. I graduated oh. from the University of Chicago three times. I actually do not teach there. Where do you I teach? teach? I teach at the Illinois School of Profes- Professional Psychology at Argosy University right now. Oh, yeah. And well, thank I taught you for at other schools me. around Chicagoland, Loyola, DePaul, Roosevelt University. Uh, but just, you know, just to clarify. 
Now, you're um, also a psychotherapist, too, right? In, in private practice here in yes. the Illinois Chicago geography, yes. I thought so. Okay. My commitment well, we- is to empathy. Guess what? I mean, no surprise. My commitment <laughs> is to be gracious and generous listening. That's what I offer. That's what I, I'm serious about. And that is my commitment. We were going to talk about the difference between empathy and sympathy, as I recall. Right. And, and I want to explain the difference to them in altruism. Um, people might not even know the definition of all these words. And so, um, but I also want to talk how a person can train themselves. So I know you're, you're a specialist at that. How a person can train themselves to be more empathetic, uh, and, you know, have empathy yeah. towards other more, to really be able to feel what they're feeling more. How do you train? So I want to get onto those two things this segment. Um, yeah. Hey, Lou, if someone wants to get a hold of you, can yeah. you let the listeners know how to do that? Well, right off the bat, www.louagusta.com. L-O-U, as in Lou, L-O-U. <laughs> as in Lou. Augusta, as in, it's pronounced like the golf course, but it's spelled differently. A is in Apple, G is in George, O is in Ohio, S-T-A. Lou Augusta, one word. And there's all the contact data there. You can also email me uh, in a number of places, including Augusta at rcn.com, Robert, Charlie, Nancy.com. So thank you for that. Um, and I am, I'm visible uh, in, in a lot of different places. So wonderful. Thank wonderful. you for that uh, opportunity and shout out there. Uh, and so let me, you want me to just like address the issue here? Or yes, want, I'd love for you to do that. Okay. So basically, uh, sympathy, I'm going to, sympathy has, means a lot of things. Today, it means basically compassion. It means fellow feeling. Empathy as we defined it up front in our conversation, means I know what you feel because I feel it too, as a vicarious experience. And altruism is basically taking action to help, to assist, to support the other, right? The the other person. So altruistic means being other-oriented. Now, that's that's quick and dirty, right? I mean, uh, if you will... uh, and how, what do you think of that? Well, it is quick and dirty. That's true. <laughs> okay. So if someone... About it. I'm just getting warmed up here. Okay. Well, you go ahead. Okay. Thank you. I mean, so basically, let me distinguish. I, let me tell you a story. I, to distinguish empathy and altruism or sympathy and compassion. Uh, it's, I'm going to go to the New Testament, to the Gospels, which I'm going to actually read as a great narrative, as a great story, right? The man's going up to Jerusalem, uh, a, a, a Jewish person, and he gets waylaid by thieves, beaten up, left for dead at the side of the road. The high caste Levite comes along, sees the individual, crosses over and passes by. The Roman prelate comes along, sees the suffering individual, left for dead, crosses over, passes by. The Samaritan, telling the story rapidly, the Samaritan comes along. He's one of the neighbors. They're not necessarily getting along. Uh, he sees, he stops and helps, right? He binds up the wounds, takes the man to the end, says, I'll give you more money on the way back. Take care of this guy. He is, this is altruism. This is, now how is this about empathy? Here, here's the answer. The, the, the Levite, the high caste priest in the existing system, the Roman prelate 
experienced empathic distress. They couldn't deal with the suffering. So they had to take distance. They crossed over. They weren't bad people. They weren't. I mean, that's my interpretation of the story. They just couldn't right. deal with it. It was too bad, too messy. They had, they were, in a way, maybe they were too self-centered. But they, whereas the Samaritan knew he experienced the suffering of the person at the side of the road left for dead, he experienced the suffering as a vicarious experience. That was his empathy and his, if you will, his morality, his altruism, his system of values told him what to do about it. He was compassionate. He was sympathetic. He got involved. So there's this distinction. Empathy tells me what the other person is experiencing. My value system, my ethics, my, my good upbringing, if you will, I, I know the difference between right and wrong, tells me what to do about it. So, would you say that the Good Samaritan had the gift of empathy? Yes. It's a short answer. No. Because he... He had also altruism and compassion, whereas the other guys who crossed over, they weren't unempathic. Well, kind of in the moment, they were unempathic. They had empathy, but they experienced empathic distress. They experienced suffering, too much suffering to deal with. Like burnout, if you will, in the moment, compassion fatigue. How many charities can I deal with, right? I mean, it's like, the, especially in the, our age of digital media. Well, and if you think about it, with the time back then, um, the Jews would have had to, you know, they weren't supposed to touch anything unclean. And so they were coming back from the temple, I think, where which, which was miles and miles and miles and miles and miles away. Yeah. And so if they had touched the man... They would have had to get back on their donkey and gone all the way back, miles and miles. I had Dr. Jim Slaughter join us, PhD specialist. And so he is, I had him join us because of you being a PhD. You guys talk the same talk. <laughs> and so uh, this is Jim. I'm going to introduce him Hello, to you, Lou. Lou. It's good to be with you and get to join you today and to the listening audience as well. I, I'm I'm really, uh, really glad to be able to to. Sit down here in this last uh, kind of part of the the program. Yeah, just so very interested in in one and uh, and how all of your your thinking about empathy is developed uh, from the challenges that you uh, were, were given. You know, as you're you're writing your dissertation and going through your yeah. doctoral studies and that kind of thing. And and uh, I um, I think it's a fascinating subject. And I, as I was listening, I was wondering. Um, I was wondering about whether, you know, first of all, whether, you know, empathy is a gift, and you guys did talk about that, um, but, uh, and, and I was wondering at the same time, um, if a person, if a person isn't gifted with that, uh, and yeah, learn it, I mean, is empathy something that can be learned, or does it have to be caught, not taught, well, I mean, you know, uh, Go ahead. Know, let me jump right in. I'm going to jump right in. Cause, yeah, uh, please. You're, I'm the guest. You're the special guest. And we're going to mix it up here. I mean, yeah, I think it is a gift. And a gift means something. You know, there are moments. I got to just say it. There are moments when something like grace does show up. I mm-hmm. keep my head when others about me are losing theirs. Call that good upbringing. Call it grace. You know, there's a lot of different interpretations. Right. Uh, and, and we can put that, that great narrative. I mean, 
Uh, I'm, I'm a shout-out today for Jesus as a brilliant psychologist. He really cuts to the chase here and a great storyteller. And, and we can put it in his cultural context, what you can't touch, what you can touch. But at that moment, that guy, that Samaritan, he, he, he was down with empathy. He had it. And can it be taught? Well, I'll tell you, I, I claim to teach it on a good day. I <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and... and you know, it looks like a lot of different things. I mean, I understand that every human being has some capacity for empathy. You know, no matter how, I mean, now you can, we can talk about what's going on in prison systems. We can talk about what's going on in places on the planet right now where there is a noticeable absence of empathy. I mean, there's, you know, right, right. it is, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, you know. There's, uh, it's conspicuous by its absence. And uh, I understand that the potential is always there. If you're a human being, you know, and not, I mean, and had two parents and, you know, and, and had some kind of upbringing. Now, so, you know, so we are actually can get into the realm of tics, tips and techniques. It's how to listen. Listen, I'm going to give you Empathy 101. If you were to sign up for some of the, the training and the Empathy Seminar training that I do, one of the first tips and techniques right up front, distinguish what the other person is saying from my opinion of what they're saying. Oh, okay, okay. You know, I'm listening to, to Ann say, well, maybe the high-caste Levite had some cultural rules and regulations, he could, what he couldn't or couldn't touch, you know, and yeah, right. Well, I might have that thought. But now, that's different than what the story said. That didn't actually come up in the story. Now, maybe it was implied. So that's kind of, I mean, so I'll just give you an example. Well, yeah. what um, I'm aware of is the way people are today. I mean, everybody's on their way to work. They're in a hurry. They have, you know, they don't want to, <laughs> they have so many burdens on them that the more burdens they have and the more stress they have and the more really um, worries they have, or to the empathy. And these Levites, if they, you know, they didn't want to have to travel all the way. Well, we can only guess. I mean, we don't know, but they would have had to travel back to the temple again. Yeah. And how many miles was that, Dr. Slaughter? <laughs> how many miles would you say that was? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know because I don't know specifically where he was at the time that, right. he, that he, he ministered or, or failed to, you know, decided not to. Um, just, I don't know, several miles at least. Yeah, for us, and on a donkey, you know. <laughs> on a donkey, it's a three-day trip, you know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, and, but today, people are bad. You know, it's it's like, oh, I have to go back to the house three miles down the road. Or, you know, there's just the more, you know, in our society today, the more stress and worries and uh, burdens and all that has decreased empathy. And so teaching people how to feel again and to be able to put themselves in people's place. I think people have an easier time when they read a book or watch a movie than they do watching someone's life. Well, are you saying, I hear you saying, you know, stress does not spontaneously call forth empathy and a short list of things that make human beings worth being human about, right? I mean, this is, I think it's important to note that. And so a certain kind of attention to that, you know, taking time to attend to that, whether that's on Sunday morning or Friday evening or, you know, some other time of the designated time of the week makes a lot of sense. And uh, more than that, 
you know, I'm, I'm in, it sounds like you're inviting me to start doing the training. And I'm Oh, I'd love with, to have some of that. Yeah, so I'm good with that. Know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I also want to pause for breath. I mean, another thing that calls forth in presence is empathy, is to give recognition and appreciation. Mm. When right. people are stressed out and they're not being their best selves, to try to find something that one can acknowledge and and you know maybe it's you know that this it's not easy at this time of year right I mean and people are dealing with a lot of stuff the holidays can be very confronting from people you know it's like I'm going to say it there's that great picture by Norman Rockwell the I love that picture. right you know the <laughs> yes. big turkey in the middle and the family so happy <laughs> and grandma and grandpa and Bud and sis and the parents and the, it's it's a wonderful you know wouldn't it be nice I mean a lot of families do actually get there on a good day a lot of times there's struggle and effort you know yeah and yeah. that's when not only empathy but humor and compassion and sympathy are in the short list of things to bring to the table literally <laughs> along with yeah. the turkey. Along with the turkey. <laughs> well, it is amazing how uh, even an angry person can warm up and, and become more tender when he, you know, here's a, a good word, a, uh, uh, some kind of an uplifting uh, comment that you make um, rather than joining in his uh, anger or frustration or whatever it may be. I mean, it, it's amazing. And, and the scriptures point this out over and over again that, you know, that a, uh, a good word, an uplifting word is, uh, is something beautiful and wonderful and, uh, and uh, in, in, in enjoyable. It changes things when people hear that kind of thing from us, I think. So. It's good medicine. Yeah, good really medicine. Really good medicine. Right. A kind word turneth away wrath. I mean, yes. boy, does it ever. Great video clip on ABC Nightly News yesterday, road rage. It's fender bender. These two guys, big mistake, don't get out of the car. Both these guys get out of the car. Mm. This is not going to go very well. Mm. They know each other. They start oh, wow. hugging. They hug. They, I mean, their fists are drawn. Their fists are drawn. It's not going to go well. They recognize one another. They embrace. My God, they come to their senses, right? Mm. I mean... You know, it, it rarely does it happen that way, but a kind word turns away wrath. And here's the thing. When people's boundaries are violated or they perceive a violation, that, that then they get enraged. I mean, and I'm not saying that sometimes, you know, when your boundaries are violated, maybe you should be a little angry, right? There's a lot of bad stuff going down on the street. Give me my space. I'm riding the public transits, you know, I mean. Right? I mean, I want to keep my wallet, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. yeah. You know, I mean, and, and it's like I'm not making recommendations here, but, but yet, you know, there is this, but once again, in terms of this work around boundaries, uh, if you can keep, your, keep one's wits about oneself, and really it's, un, you know, it's unintentional, like in this case of the fender bender, and, and acknowledge, you know, acknowledge that we got an insurance claim rather than road rage, well... So wherever there's empathy, be aware there can also be anger and even rage and wrath. Right. And I think that 
part of that is letting people know how to bring about empathy and love and for people to understand them. And what's interesting at Christmas time, people are thinking about what other people's like, what other people like, what other people want, because they're looking at buying something for them or doing something for them. So it actually turns their attention toward thinking about other people and what they want or need or, or feel. And so I want to talk more about that. We're going to go to break for our commercial, and we will be right back with Dr. Lou Augusta and Dr. Jim Slaughter talking about Lou's book and empathy. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. What makes you the best you can be? Is it money? Is it success? Maybe it's love, a good career, home and family. Could it be a bit of all of these things? Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola, along with her featured guests, will bring you the tools that could be the answer to the questions you've been asking. You'll get to the root of some of the problems that have been keeping you from being the best you can be and tackle them head on. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you living your dream yet? If not, then why not? Everyone has a greatness inside of them to achieve what they deserve in their lives. But how do you find the motivation to get started? Tune in to Your Authentic Life with host Susan Cranston. Susan's advice, along with expert guests, will help you improve your relationships, start or change your career, and achieve the seemingly unattainable goal. Listen live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You have the power within to achieve anything, be it wealth, balance in your life, getting over your fears and roadblocks, and creating a positive impact on the world. Let Darby Mack show you how on the Powerful, Passionate, Prosperous Woman Show. Darby will bring you the tools and tips that you need to make it all happen with engaging guests and topics that will help you make your dreams come true. The Powerful, Passionate, Prosperous Woman Show is heard live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. This is Ann Beal, and we have our guest, Dr. Lou Augusta from Chicago, Illinois, a specialist on empathy and author of A Rumor of Empathy and two other books about empathy. He knows all about empathy. And Dr. Jim Slaughter and I today are talking to him about how to teach others how to how does a person train themselves to be more empath you know empathetic um can they ever be too empathetic and i think that um my number one gift is empathy when you took the strength finders by dr tom rath and so part of my job that i've learned over the years my weakness was to be careful about um, you know having a strength in empathy and uh, being able to feel other people's pain 
enjoy and all that. You got to be careful that you don't take it home with you or that you don't get sick yourself or get too sad. So I want to talk to you more about that, Lou. And um, I just welcome you back to the last segment. And um, we'll pick up where we left off talking about empathy. Yeah, well, here's what I want to say. In terms of empathy training and developing the potential that's there, people are naturally empathic. You can't, people come out, (laughs) people are born and have natural empathy. Sometimes education, you know, I mean, I'm a big proponent of education. Sometimes empathy is removed in the interest of conformity and, uh, and following the rules. So if one removes the resistances to empathy, empathy naturally unfolds and comes forth. That's so how, how would, um, how would that look in someone like yeah. today for the well, holidays? How, how does that work, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what are the resistances? You know, empathy is like motherhood and apple pie. Who would knock it? Well, right. wait a minute. Let's talk about my mother. And now this apple pie looks pretty good, but it doesn't conform to my diet. You know, I'm, I'm spending way too much time at the gym as it is, right? So here, you see what I mean? There is, an, I think there's significant resistance to empathy, and it looks like, yes, egocentrism, to an extent, partially analyzed narcissism. Uh, <laughs> what you might say, being right, my way, you know, right or wrong, my way or the highway, you get that moment, that doesn't work very well. Uh, looking good, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to look bad in front of my peers, and sometimes, you know, well, sometimes I screw up, and i got to acknowledge it and own it. So those are the kinds of resistances that show up. Right, and if people have been harmed when they have shown their weaknesses or when they've been wrong, um, as you know, social media can be relentless about hurting people when they've been wrong, um, people can harden their hearts towards showing their weaknesses. and. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let me jump in on that, too, because that's about boundaries. Bullying is a form, it's a boundary violation. It's, it's certainly a boundary issue, right? Because right. Every, every eight-year-old, now, you know, there's whole levels. I mean, that's exploded onto the front pages. Uh, and it's about having firm boundaries and sticking, uh, be, being empathic, being compassionate, being Funny, being sympathetic doesn't mean being a doormat. You got first thing you got to learn is just you got to stick up for yourself. Now, that, how does that differ from having a chip on my shoulder? Well, there's a subtle distinction there, right? I mean, one. I mean, you, you've called out an aspect of vulnerability that is important to ultimately being open, right, to other person's experience. Uh, and I'm so angry that I can't get what you're experiencing, right? I'm carrying, I'm making this up now, right? But, you know, it's not that I haven't had my mountains to climb. And, you know, there's anger that I, I own and need to disown on a given occasion. Uh, but that, that's a resistance to empathy, right? I mean, right. and so if I give up the resistance, it's not like, so the training is indirect. You'd speak, I think it's wise and interesting to speak of empathy as a gift. I mean, there's a, that's, you know, that's a, a language that I work with more and more. Um, but, uh, and so remove the resistances and empathy naturally shows up. That's the position. That's kind of the approach. And, you know, that's really interesting for, um, for today when you think of what's going on around us this time of year. You look in the media and there's a lot of bullying, just 
I mean, uh, authority okay. figures bully and, you know, media bullying. And I mean, kids tell me today they, they see on TV bullying promoted all the time with people we're supposed to look up to. Yeah. Um, and so when we see that um, and you, you want people to feel for each other, I don't think the media nowadays really teaches people to think of other people's feelings and to put themselves in their place. A lot of, a lot of um, you know, narcissistic, I guess you could call it, you know, um, media, TV, all that kind of stuff. And so what we'd like to do this time of year, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, is to have people to turn their attention away from that and instead turn their attention towards, you know, being able to put themselves in someone else's place, to feel their feelings, to reach out, to care for others, and to um, be able to find a healthy balance that you teach about being able to be more empathetic to others and help them remove the, the obstacles. So I assume you help them remove those obstacles. That, that's, a, that's the process. I mean, there's, a, there's an educational process there. There's a therapeutic process there. There's a human communicational process there. You know, one thing I, I you know, I want to say, we, you know, I, I do get nailed for being academic and scholarly from time to time, and I'm happy to have my friends and colleagues do so. And when all, you know, when all the academic distinctions are done, all the vicarious experience, all the philosophical categories, all the hermeneutic circles, in empathy, we are quite simply in the presence of another human being. Right. Human being. Remove the filters, remove the categories, remove the, if you will, the, the belief systems, which are sometimes useful and sometimes less useful, Remove when you can the history, and the, and put put there the humanity. I'm you know I'm a voice for that. If I I mean thank you for giving me a chance to call that out. That's what I that's where I'm really want to be and want to make a difference. And sometimes I succeed, and sometimes I just struggle like everybody else, of course. Well, and I think that. Um in your case, you do really well with um, imparting to others the knowledge of how they truly do have empathy inside them and that they can feel for others. And I think it's interesting when you talked about the the um, the news with the two guys that were angry and they got out of the car. And once they realized they knew each other, they they instead hugged. And it's, it's interesting as you look in the media, you look at the police and all the things that they're saying about and people are rallying around, you know, going after people. Well, they don't know those people. As soon as you know someone who's a policeman, yeah. you don't want him hurt. Or yeah. you know someone who, you know, you, so when you put yourself personally and it's someone that you actually know, you know, um, you don't want them hurt. You don't want it's. It's more if you. It's more the unknown people out there that signify a certain category, which isn't reality. Reality is we're all humans, and we love people that we care about. And so, how at this time of year, and to continue as well, how can you truly love them and feel love towards them, even with all your baggage and stress and burdens? You want an answer. I'd love an answer. How much time do I have? <laughs> you have, go right ahead. Okay, well, I, you know, an answer. It's not the answer, but my, my daughter had a high school science project called the National Genomic Project, National Geographic and IBM, uh, teamed up 
send in a clip of your DNA, it turns oh. out all the DNA on the planet goes back to some short simian people walking about three and a half feet tall, walking on lakes <laughs> in the vicinity of Lake Tanzania uh, in present-day country of Tanzania in uh, East Equatorial Africa. Get over it. We're all related. Those all related. two people, those genetically, those two people who realized, you know, it, it was such a great visual soundbite there. I mean, it was not going to go well. And, oh, my God, I need my neighbor. And they, they got over it. They let it go, right? Because, right. you, you know, you hear people are die over parking spots of guns. Are out, <laughs> like, awful. You know. And well, you, you, that person that you don't know, the person, the boss that you really don't like, that coworker of yours that just gets my goat, I'm related to her or him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's the 30th, 30, 3,000 cousin Ten times removed, but we're we're all related. That's no, I think it's very important to realize that. I offer that. That's wonderful. And I think that's a very important um, acknowledgement for people to understand that that we, that we truly are related and some you know and I I talk to some of the most successful people in the world and it's interesting how they ha- usually have such a good balance of being able to feel others pain and yet have good boundaries um and they uh, affect people they affect people because people honestly like someone that seems to like them yeah. and understand them. And so the most successful people in the world are able to impart that, that they care about them in some way and that they understand them. And so you teaching people how to do that, to be able to feel for people is a very important part of really being successful and being what we call fulfilled and um, feeling empowered by others because we know how to care for others. Well, that's right. I mean, and that makes me think of boundaries again and how, uh, as you say, successful people are uh, warm and understanding and open to who you or, you know, the people they work with are as a possibility. I mean, leaders, captains of industry, leaders in uh, all kinds of organizations succeed because they surround themselves with people who themselves are good at what they do, and then they give them the room to do their job, you know, yes. and the people step into that possibility. They articulate a possibility. Now, with the work I'm doing on a rumor of empathy, that's kind of an edgy title because a rumor is a unsubstantiated report, right? I mean, that, I got that straight out of Matthew. There shall be wars and rumors of war. I said, oh my God, there's a rumor of empathy. Does it hold up? We're going to go look. We're going to try and find empathy, and if we can't find it, you know, we're going to create it and consider the possibility. Now, that's different than what Matthew was saying at that point. But, I like, you know, the phrase resonates. Uh, so uh, what's the point here? Sometimes that boundary requires speaking truth to power. What does right. that look like? That's the mm-hmm. anger part, right? People right. are angry about something, and, and maybe they should be. There's some things going on. You know, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to be delicate about the news, but nevertheless, there's some things going on. I'm going to quote a chief of police, a man named McCormick, who passed away recently, obituary in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, you know, he said, there is never an excuse for shooting an unarmed man. Never. I mean, he's chief of police, big city, not, not Chicago, but, you know, it, it's, I don't say that's the truth with a capital T. I say, we got to consider the possibility we got. 
they've got to give the thought. I mean, and sometimes you've got to speak truth to power. And, you know, that consists of, I mean, here in the USA, I mean, it's great. You know, I mean, we're privileged and blessed, right? That's not possible in Iran. That's not possible in other, you know, states whose names are in the news, like the lights are out in North Korea again, right? Uh, you know, it's, you know, we got to remember that. And I call that out. I don't always know what that looks like, but I'll tell you. I did complete uh, the, the biography of Malcolm X, and, and there was a man who knew how to speak truth to power, uh, Martin Luther King. There was a man who, each in their own ways, were inspired by Gandhi and speaking truth Gandhi. to power, and that was a way of processing their anger. Well, and I think that it's important to be able to speak truth to power and speak truth in general. There's good ways and bad ways. And, um, yeah, I heard him say that. I heard the police chief say that. You know, I have a black belt in karate. I can do damage. I, I mean, I'm considered a lethal weapon, right? I don't have a gun, per se. I'll so I think fine. that um, that's where it's all perception. And I, I, um, I wanted this holiday season for us to have this topic coming into Christmas, for people to really be called attention to them being able to place themselves in other people's shoes or feel other people's feelings good and bad and maybe because there's a lot of people out there right now that are distressed lonely um and that need us to reach out to them in some way or another and to invite them for christmas invite them over for a new year's dinner or a new birth wherever around the world the new light the winter solstice um hanukkah kwanzaa and people to invite others over and to reach out to others would you say that i would say that and I don't, you know, I don't want, this is your show, and I have a great quotation here from a teacher of mine, the name of Hannah Arendt. And we only have 30 seconds, so can you say it fast? I don't, I don't think we can get it. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you what it says. It's about natality and a new birth and how a new birth brings new possibility to the world. And she quotes the Gospels announcing glad tidings, a child has been born unto us. This is from her book, The Vida Activa. And that is a great way to close, Lou. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And thank you, Dr. Slaughter. My pleasure. For joining us. And you guys have a wonderful Christmas. And we'll see you right after the holidays. Um, Oh, I'm back here right New Year's Eve for Living Well with Ann Beal. Thank you, Lou. My pleasure. Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week.